For the kingdom belongs to his sheep And your life is in the hands Of a God who never sleeps Fear not, little lamb For the kingdom belongs to his sheep And your life is in the hands of a God who Welcome back to Tending Lambs. I'm Abby. And I'm Katie. And I'm Sam. So you may have noticed that we have some new introduction music that we are really excited about. It was actually written by a friend of Katie's, uh, Daniel Cowan, and my husband Abe actually uh, performed and recorded it. So we are just super thankful to them for all their hard work that they put into it. It fits so well with our vision for Tending Lambs. Um, so yeah, we're just really thankful to have that available and uh, for all their hard work that they put into it. Now, Katie, why don't you get us started today? Last week, we discussed the difference between gentle and punitive parenting, and this week we're going to be going over the difference between gentle and permissive, which is a parenting style that GP most often gets confused with. So Today, we're going to start with what the focus of permissive parenting is. And uh, Abby, would you like to start us off there? Yeah, so a lot of the focuses of permissive parenting um, are that the child's desires and feelings um, are always kind of first and foremost. Um, Permissive parents often allow their children to be their own captain um, and to make all of their own decisions and the parent kind of just follows along with that. A lot of times I think permissive parenting um, is kind of defined by a lack of boundaries and discipline with our kids and the inability or fear of saying no to our kids. So I have an example of this. Um, When I started following different pages on Facebook way back in the day, there was, I believe, an unschooling Facebook page. And there was a conversation on there about allowing your children to eat cake for breakfast. And I mean, not that that's, that's pretty morally neutral, but um, most of the commenters were adamant that if your child requests to eat cake for breakfast, that you allow it and that they will naturally learn by any of the natural consequences Um, with no guidance. And I ended up trying to point out that while we can, we can allow them to teach themselves and face the natural consequences, they do need guidance, especially say if you have a two-year-old who is wanting cake for breakfast, you can, that's a healthy boundary to say no. And you can explain why. And it's a great teaching moment too, talking about our bodies, um, even our routines, just, it's just kind of a normal part of the day that you would go through. And um, I got kicked off of the page for <laughs> for saying that we should what? ever tell our kids no. Oh boy! And um, yeah, it was it was really strange, but it was almost like this just this mentality of our children, as you said earlier, Abby, are their own captains and can only learn that way. Um, there was just no hint of parental guidance, and 
helping them to make good decisions and actually teaching them. Yeah, especially with things that have longer term consequences, it's really hard for a three-year-old to be able to say, oh, you know, the next day when their energy levels are low and when they feel like, you know, crap because the first day or the day before they were eating all sorts of junk, you know, they have no way to connect those two events, you know. Yeah, the natural consequences, they don't, um, they don't put one plus one equals two that they're not feeling good because they ate cake. Um, and I think the, I think the thing with like that example, for instance, is not that, like you said, Sam, it's, it's morally neutral to eat cake for breakfast, maybe not the wisest decision on a regular basis, but, um, (laughs) it's not a morally wrong thing to do. I think the issue with that is this kind of fear of saying no to your child because it will upset them if you don't allow them to have cake for breakfast rather than you deciding that that's an okay choice for this morning um, based on, you know, whatever the circumstances may be. Yeah, I've actually found that there are two groups of people and one of them, it's a little bit less conscious and it is what you were talking about, the fear of saying no and this uh, driver that's behind the scenes, this urge to placate their children and they are kind of unaware of that. Um, it's more subconscious, but then there's also the people that actually have real philosophical problems with telling their children no at all. And there are less of those people, I think, but they're still out there and they're still, um, yeah, they're still pretty big voices in the GP community and some of these groups. Uh, so Sam, do you want to tell us some of the common denominators between permissive parenting and gentle parenting? Some of the reasons we might get sure. a little bit confused. Right. Yeah, this is kind of that. And I did want to point out also that someone who is a permissive parent is probably not going to call themselves a permissive parent. I mean, as far as I've recognized, it's um, not a derogatory term, but it's just not really a term that anybody who is a permissive parent would use. They would probably call themselves gentle parenters. Have you guys noticed that? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Okay. Yeah, well, I have as well. Um, Yeah, some of the common denominators are um, no spanking, no physical punishments, um, no shaming too, which those are kind of the main two disciplinary factors in punitive parenting. Um, And it's really abnormal, abnormal in our society, which is why we get them kind of confused as you see these, just this group of people who doesn't spank pretty much. um, And they get lumped together. Other aspect of gentle parenting that overlaps with permissive parenting or seemingly overlaps would be that permissive parents do recognize their children's rights, but they fail to place them in the context of everyone else's rights. So that ends up being at the expense of other people's rights as well as negating their own rights. Yeah, I think a lot of times in a permissive kind of mindset, uh, what that looks like is when your child has maybe wronged another child. and maybe objectively, they really are taking another child's toy that belongs to the other child or pushing them or something along those lines. And for whatever reason, um, that is justified. And really what that does is um, just teaches them entitlement. It doesn't teach them healthy, principled boundaries uh, as far as where their rights end and another person's begins. 
I actually grew up with um, with some children whose parents did this exact same thing, and it it caused a lot of problems within our our friend group because there was never a clear advocate that you could trust. Except we would, all, of course, always bring in in my mom, <laughs> who was usually actually really impartial, uh, thankfully, but um, if you know our our neighbors parents came out it was there was no trust there and that's a really scary position to be put in for for children yeah. to not be able to trust the adults right when you are treating someone partially you're being unfair and mm -hmm. even the child who you are treating preferentially is not feeling safe there because their own rights are being negated uh, and so they feel like it's controllable it's manipulatable that the you know that it's not something standard across the board that it's something that they can manipulate and so that's what they're going to do yeah the equilibrium of that you just kind of mess it up in that way that your child's rights are then subjective um because everybody else's rights are subjective right when you stop treating other people as if their rights are objective and ideally that they're made in the image of God, then that changes your worldview. And that does affect how you come to see yourself and who you are, what your identity is. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Abby, why don't you take us through the focus of gentle in relation to permissive parenting and contrast the two for us? <laughs> sure. So um, the focus of gentle kind of in contrast to permissive parenting is that um, we do recognize our children's desires and feelings and we address those but um, in the context of the desires and needs and feelings and rights of those around them as well um, so we do empathize with our child's right to feel the way that they do about um, the situations that they're in or the boundaries that they've been given but um, we can empathize with them without actually moving those boundaries. Um, we can still say no and appreciate the fact that they're disappointed by that no. Yeah. So another distinction is um, that we really encourage respectful stewardship of um, a child's body and their belongings, of course. Um, and then any area that they're not able to respectfully steward, um, we have to steward for them uh, by taking things away sometimes um, or helping them to not hit. And in that aspect, the big difference I see here between gentle and permissive parenting is that um, it can be very scary for a child to, quote unquote, be their own captain. Um, they really depend on us and need us to help them steward some of these decisions until they're able to on their own. So um, I think a lot of times when we see maybe behavioral issues or acting out or meltdowns or however you want to phrase it, a lot of times that's because a child is actually scared of the power that they've been given uh, to make a decision that's too big for them. And I think uh, Janet Lansbury especially does a great job of addressing that. So we will link some resources on that point in the show notes for sure. I think that's a really good point to make for consistency as well um, in regard to boundaries, because I've noticed with my kids um, on the days that I'm feeling more indecisive or I just can't 
kind of pulled to a boundary, basically, um, their behavior just, <laughs> just, they go nuts. It just tailspins. That's a good word for it. Yeah. It's it, they, like, they don't know what to do with themselves. They're angry with me. They're just frustrated. And it took me a really long time to make the connection that it was the inconsistency. But I also didn't realize even after understanding that it was the issue of inconsistency was that it was the displacement of power and authority um, and where it should be, which for them, they feel safe when that's with us and they need that from us. And you know, one thing that this makes me think of every time uh, this comes up in a conversation is, and it may seem a little unrelated at first, but it connects in my mind. So hopefully it does here uh, is (laughs) when people move their toddler into a big kid bed too soon yeah, and suddenly the boundaries <clears throat> that were there before are gone, and that responsibility of staying in the bed by themselves without having to, uh, without having the um, the boundaries around them is just too much, and they can't. They almost literally cannot stay in the bed. It's their open. impulse control. Yeah, yes. it's just not strong enough yet. Right, and in that way, that's really how I think of our decision-making in a lot of ways uh, when they're still really little. And even as they get older, you know, it just, the boundaries uh, fall away in certain areas as, as they get older and rightly so. But without those, when they're little, when we give them all this responsibility and take away all of the edges that for them mean safety, it's really scary and it's really too much for them to handle. And I think a lot of times that's why we see children pushing back against our no is because they want to know that you mean it. They want that boundary in place in a lot of ways. They want to know that, oh, whew, I don't have to be in control of this situation. I don't have to make this decision. And when your child pushes back and pushes back against your no and you kind of collapse into that, that child can oftentimes feel very unsafe, as we were saying, because uh, suddenly they have all the power to make your no actually a yes. Mm -hmm. Why don't we talk a little bit, I'll go into what we don't do specifically. Um, We don't shape children's behavior behavior using bribes and coercion, uh, otherwise known as rewards. Uh, We don't cover up unpleasant emotions with rewards either. Um, that's one of the things, and actually, one of the things that I noticed that corresponds between punitive and permissive parenting is how neither side of that coin really handles the expression of emotion very well. One yeah. side punishes it, and the other side try, tries to cover it up with placating their child. So we also don't allow our children to rule the uh, the roost with their emotions and demands. So going back to what we were talking about earlier and the preferential treatment and trying to placate the kids all the time. Um, And we don't avoid and ignore emotions and behaviors for the sake of peace or convenience. Um, We don't allow our children's emotions to dictate ours. And that is a really, really big one. And I think um, a lot of people coming from Punitive parenting and wanting to transition to gentle parenting can get kind of stuck here because 
you hear words like empathy and connection and you think that it means I have to sit with someone and connect for three hours while they're, you know, in some kind of emotional state. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, (laughs) you know, that because those emotions can become ways to manipulate the situation. And that does sound very negative. And I don't mean it I don't mean it in a malicious way. They're not intending to uh, manipulate so that they can hurt someone or, you know, it's just a real need to, to get an idea of where the boundaries are and where control is and to have you push back on them. And they're going to use what they see works. Yeah. And our children really need us to be strong for them too. And I think when we are Uh, If we constantly just take on those emotions and let them affect us so strongly, um, we're not able to be the strong person that our child needs us to be. Um, Something that's resonated with me, um, it seems like kind of a saying in the gentle parenting circles is being the calm in the chaos. Yeah. And I think that that was a big realization for me that helped us, um, even if it doesn't seem to, at the moment, help the child and take care of all of the problems and all of the big emotions and everything. It helps me to understand what my place is and what my what my job is in that point. And it's not to get myself involved in the chaos, because that is, I mean, you're not their strong person and you're not you're not the holder of the boundaries and the person that they can look to for direction at that point, if you are taking on the emotions and giving it back to them. So taking on their emotions can look something more of look like something more of a punitive style where you're, you're getting angry and they're essentially being punished for um, or shamed or just hurt because they have the feelings or it can be fed into in a way where you're not guiding them out or helping them with the process. You're taking it on and fueling the storm rather than helping to kind of guide their little rocking boat (laughs) through the storm. Right. You know, that makes me think of um, a common interaction that I was just having recently with someone in a group and um, about how so often we can almost take on our children's emotions as if they're our responsibility. Not only just you know, getting into the thick of it with them, but we feel like we have to control their emotions. We have to make them feel better as yeah. if we can, you know, and that kind of responsibility is just not, it's not for anyone to take on the emotions of someone else. That's just too much for one person. You can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can validate and understand and comfort your child without having to get wrapped up for hours getting hit or screamed at and all of that, that stuff. Yeah. Holding your boundaries. Exactly. When we allow our children's tantrums and outbursts to control how we feel and what we do, we basically entered into another type of power struggle, which is something that gentle parenters seek to avoid. Um, It's, I mean, as we talked about earlier, the power switching back and forth, um, not being consistent is, it's scary for kids. And it's just, it's kind of frustrating for everyone all around because you don't know where the boundaries are. Yep. 
So another thing that we do in gentle parenting is we teach them appropriate ways to express their fears and their anger and frustrations. Um, for example, uh, you can't hit your brother. <laughs> Would you like to hit this pillow? Giving some, an alternative to um, let out that frustration or creating a space that's safe for them to cool off like a, an uh, open closet or a corner in a room that's designated for cooling down that might have some soft pillows um, or just somewhere they can go to be separated for a minute. I think it's important that we um, distinguish between that and a timeout because a uh, timeout would be a kind of forced uh, quote unquote cooling off uh, in a punitive sense. And this would be more of providing the opportunity for our children to cool off uh, voluntarily before we try to work through whatever the issue is. Yeah. Which honestly is kind of a life skill, being able to separate yourself um, yeah. and regain composure. Um, and it also gives them an opportunity to calm down so that they can communicate and so we can further help them work through their emotions. Yeah, some other examples would be sports casting. A good example of sports casting would be just providing the bare bones facts in a non-judgmental way to help your children know that you see what's going on. Of course, um, if they are starting to lash out or get violent or anything like that, you do need to get in the middle of it. But this provides them the opportunity to work things out amongst themselves with you as uh, mediating as little as possible. So, Johnny, I see that Eddie took your ball. You're yelling about that now. And so on and so forth. Helping them to know that you're there and you're present, um, but also encouraging them to work things out amongst themselves. That also brings up how you, uh, you use the word mediating. And I like that word rather than refereeing because a lot of the times adults can come into, like swoop into a situation and become a referee and make decisions and try and work the whole thing out for the kids. But like you were saying, um, mediating as little as possible and sticking to sports casting is really um, the best way to help them learn how to work through it themselves. Yeah, anyone who watches sports knows that a referee's bad call can really throw a game. Yeah. <laughs> I felt the need to make a sports joke. <laughs> no, but really. <laughs> Yeah, and a sportscaster is really there just presenting the facts. I mean, I think that's a great, a great, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that we allow is for kids to feel in charge of and in control of age-appropriate things. So um, you'll see this frequently presented as something like outfit choices. So you have, say, two choices. You have these two choices. Which one would you like to wear today? Something that we do in our house is when I'm planning the meals um, and snacks and just stuff like that, like going over that for the week, I let the kids help me. So I involve them with, okay, we could have this or this for dinner. Which one would you prefer? Um, what is something that you like that you'd like to add on to the menu if we're able to? And that really is something that means a lot to them. I think that's really important to kids because uh, contrasted with a permissive kind of parenting style where maybe the kids are in utter control of all of the available options, we are still giving them um, some control over their lives when, you know, as children, they often have so little without um, exasperating them with so many options 
or um, making them feel completely out of control by being so in control. Right. Yeah. And something like with the, the meal example, kind of like when I was talking about um, setting the boundary with eating cake for breakfast is that I can bring the kids into the decision-making process and kind of educate them. It's a teaching opportunity for me. Like we have, we have this much money this week. Um, so sitting down and bringing them into certain processes, if you have the ability to do so, is so much more than just giving them some control over something. It's so teaching them, I mean, honestly, some life skills and how the family functions and how they impact the family and how they can help. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, so some other examples of giving them age-appropriate things to be in control of uh, would be um, giving them choices of organized activities instead of telling a child that they must learn violin or they have to play soccer and uh, letting them pursue their own interests. Uh, Introducing more negotiation as they become older um, and actually entering into uh, contracts with them, which is something that a lot of people don't think of, actually, but is really, really helpful as kids get older um, to really fully be in charge of some decisions like curfew, for example, and, and terms of using the family car and um, just things like that. Um, it can be really, really beneficial to the relationship and to the child to learn how to negotiate, to learn how to express what they want in the context of what other people want and need as well. Um, for younger kids and for older kids, another uh, thing that is something they can control is their free play that is unplanned by an adult. So that free time for them is something so crucial in a space and with things that are always a yes. Uh, it is really important for them to have that space in time to do whatever it is that they want so that they can be as creative as they want to be, uh, focus as much as they want to be, or just go a little crazy. Uh, that's really, uh, really crucial. Yeah, I think a great point on that is um, just kind of goes back to letting them explore their own interests. You know, um, my daughter is only 10 months old, but we've already introduced as much free playtime as, you know, she can kind of age appropriately handle because uh, it helps her determine what she enjoys uh, instead of us always having toys in her face or showing her what to enjoy. Um, we provide options for her and uh, let her, let her choose. And she does, she uh, avoids some toys almost altogether and has some very obvious preferences already. Uh, and that's really important for a child to be able to distinguish what they enjoy, what they're good at, um, and to have that independence instead of uh, being pushed one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably a good time to encourage parents to resist the the, uh, the temptation to helicopter parent, especially if like my kids are big, so they're not playing on a carpet in the living room with a couple baby toys. They're outside climbing trees, and yeah. I mean, we let them experiment with 
with building things um, side by side with my husband and getting kind of used to some of his tools and things like that. And it can be scary at first, even watching your kids on the trampoline for the first time can be scary, but they're not going to learn what their abilities are and what their limits are if we are, if we are constantly intervening. Something that permissive parenters miss the opportunity to do is to basically speak truth to their children. I mean, we have the entire word of God and it's not only what we live by, but it's just a wealth of knowledge about him and also um, how we can glorify him. And a verse that came to mind when we were discussing during this episode was Galatians 5, 22 um, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So if we are allowing our children to feel their emotions and to act on them however they see fit, when they are kind of unable to regulate that, we're also not discipling them um, and giving them, gosh, I mean, the entire book of Proverbs is full of wisdom. The entire Bible is full of wisdom. And so if we're not there in it with our kids and giving them guidance, it's just they're not going to learn these things that are not only God-honoring, but helpful to the other people around them. Yeah, amen to that. I think uh, that's a really important point because um, the Bible does tell us to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, and so when we kind of skate around that, uh, we're not really doing our kids any favors. Yeah, that's a good example. So, um, do you want to end with this quote from Sarah Aquil Smith? And then, uh, I think this is a good place to wrap up. Sure. So I loved this quote by Sarah Aquil Smith. Um, she says, I describe gentle parenting as simply parenting with empathy, respect, understanding, and boundaries. In my opinion, the boundaries are just as important as the empathy and the respect. And I think that quote just so perfectly describes the difference between permissive and gentle parenting. Yeah, you cannot have um, true respect without having boundaries. It's just not possible. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed this. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, please join our Facebook group. And that's Tending Lambs Community Group on Facebook. Uh, we would also love for you to come like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Tending Lambs. We're also on Instagram at instagram.com slash Tending Lambs. Um, and you can find our show notes page at our website, tendinglambs.com. Until next time. So, Sam, why don't you take us into what we do do in Permissive Parenting? So Sam, what? How do I say this without saying do do? Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, the older we were laughing at do do. <laughs>